Hello and welcome to the Arrow Video Podcast with Sam and Dan. My name is Dan Martin, special effects artist and podcaster, and I am joined, as ever, by my lovely co-host... Sam Ashurst, and I'm a writer, I'm a director, and if I'd have known that American Wealth in London was out on the same day as Nightbreed, I would have chosen Nightbreed this fortnight because it's <laughs> one of my favourite films of all time and I collect things around Nightbreed. So um, I'm an idiot, but who, who cares? We're gonna we can do, do Nightbreed as well. So yeah. not, not today, I'm not prepared, but we can do Nightbreed <laughs> <laughs> not instead. Should we do it next time? You up for that, potentially? Yeah, we could do it next time. Yes. Why not? Amazing. Thank you, Dan. That's very kind. Uh, yes. Um, how do you feel about the film we're actually doing, uh, An American Werewolf in London? I mean, I, I love it. <laughs> it's going to be one of those... I'm often of the feeling that these podcasts are the best when we disagree slightly. Um, but this is going to be one of our good old-fashioned love-ins because we are both uh, very keen on American Werewolf in London. Well, um, you say that, Dan. Why do you why oh. do you think that um, why do you think that I am out of interest? Well, because we were sitting watching a werewolf film about a week ago, <laughs> and when we were talking about favourite werewolf movies, although this wasn't your absolute top favourite, we were talking about like listing good werewolf films. We were talking mm. about there being a bit of a, a deficit. It's a it's a fun one, but for reasons we can discuss further on in the podcast, I think the the it's harder to make a good one than possibly other subgenres, and um, and you, I thought, were on board with not really counting American Wealth in London at the top just because it was so obvious, so we didn't even need to acknowledge it. Well, there was um, on the way to watching that that film, which I will talk about later on. Um, yeah, uh, but but dear sweet precious Arrowhead, uh, Dan, Mike, the producer of this podcast, and I uh, watched a film together, which I brought to Mike's house, um, kind of to say goodbye because I moved out of London um, this week. And yeah, uh, on the way to to uh, Mike's house, I told Dan that there was going to be a bit of a bombshell. Um, that I would hit him with um, about an American wealth in London. Uh, oh my on god! The podcast. Do you not like American wealth in London? Well, <laughs> here's the thing. <laughs> it's not that I don't like it. It's that this is the first time on the Arrow Video Disc I've seen it all the way through. Are you serious? Yes, I knew. <laughs> this is why I wanted to tell you on the podcast. I knew that That's that would blow your mind. Bonkers. So the reason for this, and there's a good reason for this, is that um, I first watched it when I was way too young. Not as young as Paul Davis um, watched it. He watched it when he was three. But we'll we'll get to that um, when we get to the extras. Um, I, I actually want to see the maths on that. But anyway, I I, I did watch it um, very young, um, and uh, I, I'd already been profoundly disturbed by the the thriller video the michael jackson thriller video which my um uh, dad had on a bootleg vhs like the full version um so i must have seen that when i was five ish and i think it's my first experience of horror um it's either that or ghostbusters but um both the thriller video and ghostbusters absolutely terrified me like to the point of tears um and then for some reason my dad decided to show me america werewolf in london but i freaked out so much uh during the transformation scene that it did get shut off 
And so I have just never returned to it <laughs> until now. Um, so I've now seen the whole film. And, you know, if that makes me a bad film person, then I'm, I'm very sorry. But um, I really liked it. It's amazing, obviously. I love the transformation this time around, partly because I'm an adult now, so it wasn't as scary. But also I really appreciated the insane effects work which is something obviously it would be great to hear you talk about dan oh yeah i mean it is it's it's obviously a delight yeah i I, man i'm still fucking astonished that you yeah wow (laughs) i just like we lived together for seven years how did that not come up well have you ever heard me talk about the film <laughs> i just well, no yeah, it's, it's just, just one of those givens know. like i i so a friend of a, a very good friend of mine was down in london for his 50th birthday uh last night and this morning i i said do you want to watch the the arrow print of american Life in london he was like fuck yes absolutely mm. so you know slightly hung over we, we we put that on the big screen and we were sort of you know chattering through it a little bit as you do with a movie that's familiar like a like a, a big blanket of a film of course and uh, and and we were just talking about how it's one of those ones where you've seen it so much that it's the dialogue kind of happens in your head a fraction of a second before it happens on screen not just the words but literally the the cadence and the flow and the, tone the intonation the yeah absolutely yeah. yeah to the extent that you almost couldn't think of them being said any other way yeah which and again this is something we can discuss later which is why i was so shocked when i heard that they might someone might be considering a remake yeah it's i mean yeah it's just one of those films that is it's sort of it's part of horror dna i think and i guess that's why we hadn't talked about it because it's like i don't know i don't talk to you about my internal organs or my blood <laughs> why ever not i feel i feel put out by that no i, you, I mean you i totally get it and sit down Exactly. Um, (laughs) God, over the past like month, like what with me being scared of werewolves and me being scared of wrist cuttings, I am actually starting to sound like a bit of a wuss. I am very tough, dear sweet precious arrowhead. I must point that out. But you're not not scared of a biker gang waving chains, though, are you? No, no, bloody love that. As tough as you can get. Exactly. But yeah, no, I do understand. It's like, you know, you assume that everyone's seen Evil Dead 2. Um, yeah. It is a kind of that kind of film, I guess. But um, Can we? Can I do a side anecdote about Evil Dead 2? Yes, please. So when I was in Bubwith in Yorkshire, out in the middle of absolutely fucking nowhere, filming Await Further Instructions several years ago, we were filming in a building that had been put together as part of a film school that had since closed and was being operated by a company called Green Screen Studios, who had set up a couple of little sound stages, and were using the old uh, accommodation for the the film school as accommodation for people shooting on their sound stages. And it was a comparatively small picture, albeit one that I'm very, very proud of. And um, the the crew, I was one of the most like senior, just in years, of the crew. Um, Johnny Kabulki and the director, and myself, and a couple of my team were very much older than pretty much everyone else uh on the group with a few exceptions and we were sort of chatting about horror and talking and it became and this was about the same time that ash versus the evil dead was about to premiere Hmm. and we were you know i was being excited about seeing what they were going to do with it and it became apparent that pretty much none of the crew had seen either evil dead or evil dead 2 and a couple of them had seen army of darkness 
And I was astonished. And that night, while sort of exploring the slightly peculiar like digs that we were in, and I, I like it was twenty minutes walk to the nearest other building. It was over fields and stuff. It was a very weird space. Um, I was I was walking around the studio late at night, and I found an old cinema that didn't have any seats in it anymore, but still had the screen. And I had a I have a I could take a projector with me on long jobs. So. Uh, myself and my team salvaged chairs and sofas and any furniture we could find, dragged it all up into the cinema, set up the screen, and I got to show all of these young, enthusiastic filmmakers um, the Evil Dead trilogy for the first time. That's incredible. I mean, that is, I mean, it is a thing. When we, way back when we did the Thing um, podcast, and, yeah. and I think, what was the other one? Videodrome, was it? Videodrome and the Thing, back to back, yeah. Yeah, and there are a load of your students who um, either hadn't seen one or the other or even both. And it, it's kind of bonkers because obviously these are, uh, I, I am not a practical effects artist, so you can forgive me for for not having seen all of an American Werewolf in London, though I have actually seen the the effects bit. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, and and this is why every now and then I know you make fun of me when I when I recommend. In fact, I think I did recommend Evil Dead on Burnt Offerings, didn't I? Um, yeah. Because of this very reason, um, there are people out there. There may be people even listening to this podcast who haven't seen um, Evil Dead or, or potentially The Thing or, or American Wealth in London. So, you know, we, we've, got to, we've got to shout about these films as much as we do stuff like, you know, The Child or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, yeah, you know, if you've got an evening free, which are you going to watch? Is it going to be Evil Dead 2 or The Child? How could you possibly it's, it's, choose? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I guess, yeah. you know... <laughs> genuinely um it probably would have been the child you know two months ago because i make a point of trying not to re-watch stuff i've already seen like if i'm ill i will put on a comfort film which could be yeah. evil dead 2 yeah. or it could be the devil's rejects or something along those lines uh but oh, generally man, you've not seen sorry 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 sam i just got excited and talked over you oh well the thing i the birthday party i went to last night was a halloween fancy dress birthday party and so i went to sid haig because it was my first halloween with a shaved head so i went in ah um, nice i went as captain spaulding i'll send you some pictures maybe i'll tweet oh please do that's fucking incredible i love captain (laughs) spaulding and i love the devil's rejects by the way um that is like a pure comfort film for me but um yeah I, i guess the point is is that you know in the continuing mission to watch as much stuff as possible before I die, I, I guess, you know, in a way, I counted an American werewolf in London as sort of seen, because I'd seen half of it. So it's it's weird returning to a film where you've already seen half of it, you've got to get through that. Um, and so that's part of why I wanted to do it for the podcast this week. But also, I think the fact that I haven't seen all of it gives me a kind of weird perspective and insight into the film oh um, yeah no yeah, I, it, it's, it's hard for you to to think of it you know fresh but for me half of it was fresh and i really do think it's a fucking incredible film for oh, reasons it really is. reasons other than the famous ones such as you know it being the first film to to get a, a special effects oscar 
um, because that scene is so jaw-dropping. When you said, you know, I can be forgiven for not having seen it because I'm not a practical effects artist, you know, yes, obviously that stuff's incredible, but the film is so much more than just an effects film. Oh, there yeah. are loads and loads of shitty, shitty films with amazing special effects. But this is, you know, it's something else. It's incredibly well-written. I, I guess... Um, just, it's really just, beautifully just... made. It, it really is. Just to be clear, the reason I use that specific example is because your students no, I know, I know. should have seen the yes. thing, the ultimate practical effects movie, and also <laughs> Videodrome, and also an American Werewolf. But anyway, yeah, no, exactly. I like it's unreal that John Landis wrote this when he was eighteen, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, it, yeah. It's great, and and it's interesting because there are bits that are like, oh yeah, that's a thing that a young writer would do. It's a bit silly. But yeah, like all, like all the song cues and really stuff. Well. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, it does all work really, really well. And it was in, I, I listening to the audio commentary on it. I hadn't realised quite how much stuff had been chopped out or changed. Like I, I, you know, I guess I hadn't really thought about it that much. But like the extra gore, some shocks and jump scares that he'd cut out, stuff that seems to have been lost to time. And and I guess that that's where adult John Landis takes over from eighteen-year-old John Landis. Even if he shot the script that he wrote when he was eighteen he edited the film that he made as an adult i do think it's heartbreaking that um that that uh the, the homeless guy being ripped into you know and chewed up and spat out um has thrown been lost back to time. in yeah. yeah especially as um it was kind of described as the the jaws head severed head reveal jump scare. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That, the equivalent of that in, in this film but then you know um apparently landis when it was first remastered for dvd not blu-ray apparently as part of that process he was shocked by how gory it is like without that stuff being cut out so that that's kind of interesting as well i mean it is a gory film and oh my god like the description of um the guy in the wolf suit um, I think this is in the documentary and not the commentary, though there, there is crossover there. But yeah, the description of the guy in the wolf suit um, who'd basically drawn the short straw that day when they were shooting the cinema scene and he had his face in... It's, what it's was in it? the commentary. Sheep, sheep, it is. Uh, sheep innards. That pig, is pig, pig awful. Pig, there you go, horrible. sorry. Fucking Absolutely horrible. grotesque. I, I hadn't known about that, and I'm very disappointed that the first film to win an Oscar had real animal guts in it. Not that they in any way undermine the practical effects that deservedly won the award. Yeah, yeah. That, come on, people, we're better than that. We, the whole point of us is that we can make fake stuff look real. We don't need to rely on real stuff. Yeah, I, I yeah, I, I, I also found that very strange. Um, I, I, it made me. It reminded me of that anecdote. I. I said on on an old podcast can't remember which episode but about the director who gave me the advice that if i needed practical effects that i could just go to the butchers and throw stuff around and i was like yeah no i'm probably not going to do that um but I, as it um, turns I out <laughs> I, I uh, you can get an oscar for it <laughs> it's well god i think just some people there, there are people out there who just have so little fucking idea what is acceptable or or what will work i did a a thing recently, and I won't say what the project was. I did a thing recently with an eye special effect, and uh, and there was a genuine conversation going on that I wasn't party to. That was, do we really need to spend money on this? Can't we just use like a lychee or an egg or something? Oh my god! Oh my oh, this god! Is a big, this is a big, a, a big budget production. 
That's insane. That's hilarious. But yeah, as you say, you know, I I am being facetious. Uh, The the Oscar was not one for um, the pig offal. It was one for that transformation scene. And even now I look at it and I'm just like, how the fuck did they do certain elements? I I should have written it down. So the number may be inaccurate now that I say it. But watching it again today, uh, I counted uh, each separate special effect required to to make that scene uh work and i think there are 15 independent special effects not counting modifications of like additional hair and that kind of stuff but 15 puppets or prosthetic separate prosthetics um wow in that scene to make up that effect and i still go back to that as reference when talking to people about like the the process of effects like when trying to explain to a producer why i want so much time he was you know Rick was working on that for six months. They shot it right at the end of the shoot so they could pair back the crew to just the essentials. And they were only actually filming for a couple of hours a day because the makeup was taking so long every day to put on, take off. And did they say it was like six days, five, six days they spent yeah. just shooting that scene? Yeah, just astonishing. Um, I've, got a, I've got a transformation sequence coming up uh, on a film we're shooting like first quarter of next year. Um, and I'm pushing really hard to get the go-ahead to start building now, just because, you know, these things deserve that kind of attention. Exactly. Well, here's a question for you. I, I, again, I'm not sure if it's on the documentary or the commentary. Um, I did watch this before I moved, so, yeah. But Paul says at one point that um, that, that uh, set piece is the benchmark for practical effects and it's never been bettered. I would like your opinion on what you think the greatest practical effect of all time is. Is it oh, American God. Werewolf or, you know... Well, so th- I think the thing is that, that that scene is so good because it's so well choreographed and it yeah. combines so many independent effects together. And this is going to sound like utter sacrilege, so please don't lynch me for this, but if you take each of those effects on their own they have almost all been done better since. The The difference is that, A, they were there first, and that gives them a lot of, uh, a lot of weight, mm. and B, the design and the ingenuity and the foresight to put them together in the way that they did is just breathtaking. Mm. So there are individual effects, individual makeup effects or prosthetics or whatever that have been done better since. But as a, as a scene, as a collection of events, it is still absolutely definitely up there. Like, the, the fact that, you know, foam latex... Silicon wasn't a, a material that was really available to makeup artists back then. It was still several years before, like, Ireland Dr. Moreau, I think, was the first thing to have silicon prosthetics on it, the Richard mm-hmm. Stanley picture. It was Mark Dukaskis' Catman makeup uh, in that that um, Tom McLaughlin did which is the first silicon prosthetic, as far as I know. Mm. So foam latex has a fantastic compression. It's, it's very, very soft, very, uh, very lightweight material, but it's not great for stretch. And obviously all of those extending hands and, and the change heads, they all needed uh, a, a skin that could stretch rather than a skin that could compress. And so Rick, and he, he talks about this, there's a really good extra on the disc, actually, where he talks through the effects you know, like pretty much bit by bit. Um, and it's really nice. And he went to urethane, which isn't really usable as a prosthetic material because it's not particularly nice to the skin. But for puppets, it's it's quite good. 
And it sort of existed in this middle ground between foam latex and silicon. I remember the first time I came across it was the um, the whale that they were building at Hitchhiker's, uh, Henson's for Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy when I was there. And that whole thing was done out of a material called Evergreen, which was a, a urethane rubber. And it had a translucency to it, like silicon does, before silicon had really taken off. Um, although some of the puppets on that were silicon, some of the makeups were silicon. Mm. But they had to seam it with a soldering iron. You had to burn off the seams. And the gases it was giving off were super toxic, horrible stuff to work with. Mm. Uh, and But all the way, you know, back there at the beginning of the 80s, Rick's, uh, you know, he's over, he's chemically modifying the material he's getting. He's doing experimentation on a real, like, material science level uh, to plastinate it. And then you get this short period of time where it's going to do what you want before it starts to decompose, starts to fall apart. And that's why in the other extra... Other one of the other effects extras on the disc, the one where I get to talk to uh, the guy. Don't worry, Dan. I was going to get shush, to shush, that. Shush. No, no, no. no. <laughs> but, that's, but that's why the the changeo back and the, cha- the I think they don't have the back anymore. The changeo head that they've got there is is without the skin because the skin just fell apart. It just mm. stopped existing. And so you know, Rick and his team would have to make this stuff a set. You know, they'd have a limited period beforehand to make it. When you look in the background of the the hand casting extra, you know, the, the video footage of them doing a live cast for the for the movie, um, in the background you can see the sculpts for the masks that will become the zombie, uh, the zombie, uh, the, the werewolf Nazis, and they're sort of walking along demon the back. Nazis. They were one of the first things they made. Demon Nazis. Well, they're sort of wolves, aren't they? They've got yeah. Wolves. But yeah, yeah, so they're all in the background. They made them way in advance, and they were some of the first stuff they made because they didn't need life casts for them. But they couldn't run the stuff for the transformation more than a day or two in advance because it would just disintegrate. Mm. So, yeah, there's so much ingenuity and inventiveness in that. Well, and this I think is that it. That's like, the thing that makes it so close to my heart. Definitely. And, and um, it, it, it's the whole film is like that, really. There's just so many genius ideas. Uh, you know, the fact that he's kind of haunted by his previous victims that's absolutely brilliant and and done done really really well um you know the 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 dream sequence is one of the most intense and and scariest and you know that kind of i don't know using the muppet show in that way um adds to the weird intensity of it i think uh and obviously having frank oz in the film as well um yeah, I you like know. that uh, Kermit and Miss Piggy are credited as themselves in the credits yeah. rather than Frank Oz, rather than yeah. Frank Oz getting three credits. Yeah, it's great. It's really good. That's a, a good um, double bluff pub quiz question. How many credits does Frank Oz have in American Wealth in London? Yeah, that is actually, yeah, that's nice. The performances as well are absolutely astonishing. You know, this is a film, and, and they talk about it a lot in the doc, and, and Paul talks about it on the, the commentary as well, but... Um, yeah, that combination of comedy and horror where people kept saying to John Landis, you know, you can either do one or the other, you can't do both. Either it's not going to be funny or it's not going to be scary. It's one of the very rare occasions where it, it absolutely works on every level. Yeah, genuinely manages to do both, yeah. Yeah, I, it just all the performances are great. Uh, I'd like to uh, send a special shout-out to Griffin Dunn because I have learned through the extra features that he clearly had an absolute nightmare making the time. film. Yeah, especially, like, the bit where Rick Baker is talking about how 
he told him not to touch the wolf head that he was being attacked by and Griffin didn't <laughs> listen to him because he's an actor and he was in the moment and he accidentally tore the face off. So Rick Baker started actually punching him with the head. Um, have you ever punched an actor with a prop? <laughs> Not deliberately. It uh, doesn't mean I haven't wanted to. Well, that's to. what you need to do to get your Oscar, Dan. You need to step it up. <laughs> pig, pig guts and actor violence. There you go. That's the dream. Um, but yeah, we should we should talk about some other stuff. Um, what else kind of jumped out at you this time? Uh, you know, the fiftieth um, time. Oh, I had it. a few. I had a few thank you Blu-ray moments actually. Excellent. Uh, I haven't done that for a while. Um, there is a road visible directly behind them on the moors at one point when they are far lost when they're lost out in the moors that has sort of been lifted up in the print. So you can you realise that you know maybe through the viewfinder, maybe even on the on the on the screen and the on in celluloid certainly in vhs and dvd i'd never seen it that's um, incredible but yeah they're right next to a road that's hilarious that is really good and um <laughs> yeah i have i have no thank you blu-ray moments other than thank you arrow for releasing this and giving me the opportunity to finally complete this film oh, um yeah, it's beautiful. we should talk about the extras obviously you are in one um and i've alluded to it but um Paul Davis is all over this. You get his feature-length documentary, Beware the Moon, which was released separately and played at festivals and stuff. It's almost... I think it's almost exactly the same length as the original film. And so it's just packed full of incredible interviews. Um, Yeah. And and also some intro scenes from Paul where he looks about 12 and probably would cut out (laughs) if he made it today. But yeah, there's also the the audio commentary that Paul does. And uh, if if your time is limited and you can only watch one, I would recommend actually listening to the audio commentary because there is a lot of crossover information between the two because obviously he gets so much great stuff from the interviews in the the dark. Um, But I think he did follow-up interviews for the Beware the Moon book that he did. So there is actually more information in the audio commentary. And it's a really, yeah, it's a really nice listen. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's really good. I mean, fuck me, the whole the disc is amazing. You've got two commentaries, yeah. two feature-length documentaries, loads and loads of like interviews and, and small like archive bits. The only thing I was sad not to see um, was I was really expecting to get, um, it's only a couple of minutes, um, Alex Cox's Videodrome introduction. Oh, yeah. Because so many people I know, so many people my age, uh, that was the first way they saw it, was Alex Cox's... Um, TV presentation when he did it on Videodrome and that fantastic opening when and revisiting it I'll I'll tweet out the a YouTube link uh to the to the thing I'm talking about uh a, a, a very young Alex Cox I hadn't you know he was older than me when I watched it so he was old but now in, you know he's now younger than I am now when he's doing it so yeah but uh, Alex Cox used to have a video have a show on Channel 4 in the early days of Channel 4 when there was still like a an out there, exciting, vibrant new channel showing genre cinema and showed some incredible stuff. That was a, a, a very good um, sort of early access to a lot of that kind of stuff for, for myself and a lot of my film fan friends. Yeah. Do you know what struck me recently, actually? The fact that a lot of um, directors kind of formative experiences of, of a certain generation anyway um with those special films that had an impact on them 
did come through television, them stumbling over something late at night or whatever and, and becoming transfixed by, you know, a foreign film that they never yeah. would have sought out or some weird horror, whatever it is. Um, and, and obviously now things are streaming. Maybe I shouldn't be so hardcore anti-streaming because maybe there is a whole generation of, of directors who are watching stuff on those streaming sites and are going to stumble over something in a different way because it's certainly not going to happen on TV anymore because all of those shows don't exist anymore. Um, there, there isn't really no. a celebration of cinema on, on TV anywhere. So, yeah, maybe I should not be so hardcore anti-streaming. You get a bit of that with the like things like the Joe Bob Briggs thing that's on Shudder. Like, you know, exactly. there is a certain yeah, amount yeah. of curated content there. So exactly. I think that that's what's stepping in and, and filling the gap. Because, yeah, like there's that's no it. more there's no more staying up late and watching something on, you know, Channel 4 at 3 in the morning because they're just filling the gaps. This is it. In fact, cheap, like, you know, cheap, cheap to license French weirdness. <laughs> I, I, I didn't engineer this conversation to go in this direction, but I do now feel compelled to say that um, I sent the new film A Little More Flesh to my friend Ben Chapman, um, who has Oh, uh, yeah, a, we, get, incredible we, know, taste. we can talk about it. Sorry, I'm just... um and uh and and basically he emailed me back um there was lots of all caps excitement but one of the best things he said which was the best thing i could possibly read um was that it reminded him of um his student days um watching channel four at one o'clock in the morning and i was like yes that is the dream that is what i want from this film so yes sorry i'm promoting something too in a way um but you know i mean i don't think i'm promoting anything that isn't literally the whole thing we're talking about (laughs) you're literally on every bloody blu-ray i put into my machine at the moment so um you know (laughs) whatever i do my best you know and it's nice people like hearing about the stuff we do so um yeah no absolutely even if i'm just like obliquely complaining about lychees (laughs) i can't (laughs) wait to see this lychee movie but um i think that's pretty much have i not not shown you the eye eye test no i don't think you have can you send that to me as well Um, oh my god you'll 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 detest it you know what i'm gonna Uh, do can't wait Yes. Take your phone. Take your, Sam and I are obviously not in the same room today. Sam, I'm going to ask you to take your phone off airplane mode, and right, on go. air you can you can watch this little test. There we go. Can you tell me what you think? You see, right? It's off airplane. Okay, give me one second. It's in my favourites, so I can send that to you immediately. There you go. Should be with you any second. Okay, right. How do you, is, how do you feel, how do you feel about appeared, this? I, I mean, I feel kind of fine about it. Um, you know, eye stuff doesn't bother me as much as some of the other things that you've shown me in the past. Certainly in, in the very early stages in our of friendship before you, you realise <laughs> that I actually don't like seeing, you know, uh, some of the things you show me. But I'm hitting play now. Yeah, okay. Okay. Ooh, I'll turn it's only about volume 15 off. seconds, 20 seconds, I think. There we go. Right, it's happening. Oh, Exciting oh my god! I mean, that is fucking grim. <laughs> oh, damn! You're a monster. Oh no, no, why? Oh, yeah. Okay, good. Well, I'm glad we did that. Um, um, we'll let the uh, we'll let the dear, sweet, precious arrowheads know 
the film that, that you're talking about uh, when it's out, maybe, so they can see this. Well, once once it's themselves. once it's out and, and and proper, then I'll share that test on social media. I think. Oh, fantastic! Yeah, great. So, and yeah, and people can just just to make sure my Instagram gets should shut they right care lockdown. enough? <laughs> should they care enough uh, or, or, or be bothered? They can uh, they can line up my audio with the uh, with the footage. But um, good, right? <laughs> I do think that's all we've got to say about an American wealth in London. Other than it's clearly a masterpiece and um, in in so many different ways. And if you like me haven't seen it, then. Uh, definitely go and buy it because it's just an unreal disc. yeah absolutely yeah yeah it All is right. really really good there's so much good stuff on it yeah and actually as, as a um like to make up for the fact that i may have accidentally press ganged you into choosing nightbreed as your choice next fortnight i am going to make a solemn pledge that i will watch and listen to everything on that disc which is a fuck ton so when you um, say you'll watch and listen to everything on that disc, yeah. do you mean you were already going to do that? <laughs> <laughs> and you have in no way changed your plans. <laughs> Look, it's a commitment, okay? I mean, I always obviously we both always listen to and watch everything on every disc, but it's um, like going to on, on Nightbreed, it's a that's a particular commitment because it's an insane level of uh, extra features on that disc. So yeah, it's going to be my full time yeah, right. job for the next next fortnight. <laughs> you said, but yeah, sorry, the the our, our Skype audio went there for a second. Did you say we're going to do Time Cop? No, <laughs> no, I didn't. Um, I said it's going to be my full time job for the next two oh. weeks. Um, oh, um, can we do Time Cop as well? <laughs> Uh, Arrow Video, would you please release Time Cop for us? I mean, I did ask for Nightbreed, actually. Um, so, you know, maybe our wishes can come true with Time Cop. Yeah, every now and then we, we, we fuss about something and then it happens. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, if you talk about enough movies... I, I don't want to waste our special power on Time Cop, to be completely fair. I'm not... <laughs> <I'm> just... <laughs> that, that, that is very fair. Um, in the mouth of madness, please. But anyway, right. Um, shall we move on to recommendations? What have you got for American Werewolf? Uh, for American Werewolf, so I've got uh, three three recommendations for American Werewolf in London, and I don't know which one to not do. Do all um, of them. Are you sure? Yes. Okay, so my first one is a slightly left field werewolf movie, but as uh, Sam and I sort of alluded to earlier, we had a conversation. In fact, I suspect I'm going to derail the recommendation section for a little bit by reminding Sam about this conversation because we can then have it again on air, sort of a bit. Um, we had a conversation about why, as as fun and great as werewolf films are, they're actually there's kind of not. You know, when you when you settle down to it, there's quite a few you can pull up. But but I think it's a lot harder to do a good werewolf movie than most of the other films in the you know most of the other horror subgenres. Absolutely, um, I don't. I honestly don't think you can get a top ten that's a uniform quality of werewolf movies. I mean, you can try I, now, I, but I think I. I mean, yeah, all right. Come on then. <laughs> I, I, um, I, I, I don't think it can be done, so I'm not going to try it. But but Dan, please do. Okay, America Wealth in London at yes. the top. It's the benchmark. Wolfman, honorary second place. Yeah. Universal, because it's an absolute classic. Um, Which was my, my favourite when we, we discussed this. My second recommendation, um, because I'll, I'll fold all my recommendations into this, because, you know. Yeah, I'll, that's. Uh, thanks. Um, <laughs> 
my, <laughs> my I can't believe that I said that you could have three and now you're having ten, but it's all my fault, <laughs> so it's fine. Um, uh, my second recommendation, and I think a film that you're not particularly keen on, Sam, mm-hmm. is Neil Jordan's Company of Wolves. Oh, no, I mean, uh, uh, again, I haven't seen it, but I have seen the effects stuff. <laughs> oh, yeah, fine. Um, yeah, no, I really, really like it. It's an Angela Carter novel. Uh, it's a sort of story within a story within a story within a story structure, um, which is really great. Um, it's got lots of different versions of werewolves in it because it's it's people telling stories about werewolves, and then you see those. Nice. So, and then it's there's a, a much heavier and richer symbology within it uh, as as far as the werewolves and what they mean. Yeah, it's it's fucking great. I love it. By the um, way, FYI, just to just to in, interrupt for a second, you are not allowed to have the film that I showed you a mic because that might be one of my recommendations. Spoiler alert. Well, okay, so I assumed it would be, yeah. and actually, it was really really good, but it probably wasn't going to be in my top ten. Okay, but if I get to if I get to ten and I'm struggling, I'll just say and then Sam's thing and throw to you. <laughs> yes, and I know why it wouldn't be in your top ten. I'll get into that. But anyway, carry on, carry on. I really liked it. I really liked it a lot. Yes. And 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 without spoiling the reason that it might not be, I think one of the other films in my top ten will be in it, despite it probably not being for the same reason. Right, just carry on, because this is getting too deep cut now. <laughs> uh, number four, uh, Dog Soldiers. Nice. Number five, The Howling. Mm-hmm. Uh, number six, Beast Must Die. Mm, yeah. Number seven, Ginger Snaps. Mm-hmm. Number eight, my third recommendation, Lobos de Aga, or uh, depending if you're in America or England, Attack of the Werewolves in uh, England, Game of Werewolves uh, in America. Uh, See, I, I... Great Werewolves, slightly shit movie. Oh, no, I really like the film as well. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I thought it was good. I thought it was, you know, while not getting the balance quite as perfect as uh, as American Wealth in London, I thought it genuinely delivered on, like, you know, thrill, fun, horror, and also comedy. Like, okay. It's never super, super scary, but that's not really its angle. Mm. Uh, Mark of the Wolfman, the mm-hmm. first Paul Nashie werewolf picture. And then, and then for 10, I'm struggling a little bit. I do feel like there's another one right on the tip of my tongue. I'm just going to throw it to Sam for his one. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can have Face of the Screaming Werewolf if you like. Oh yeah, okay, 10. there we go. Because oh uh, no, no, and then my and then my first one, the one that the, my my first recommendation, which isn't is sort of not really a werewolf movie, but is a werewolf movie. And spoiler alert, but it's uh, Christoph Gans Brotherhood of the Wolf from two thousand. Oh yeah, yeah, which yeah, I, yeah, which I adore and was yeah. going to be my first recommendation, but it's a little bit not quite a proper werewolf movie. It's, so. it's, it's not a werewolf well, movie. Well, without um, spoiling it, it's. It's on the on the fence, but okay. it's a great film. It's really yeah. beautiful. It is. It is. It's a, a and a, the second uh, film I've mentioned tonight with Mark Dacascos in it after uh, Dr. Moreau. Yeah, your favourite actor. Uh, I love it Mark is, It is uh, a very very beautifully shot film. Um, a high recommend if you haven't seen that. But speaking of uh, werewolf films that aren't werewolf films, my first recommendation is Wolf in the Woods from 1970, uh, which is the film that we all watch together. Um, it's not actually a werewolf movie. It's a Spanish serial killer movie. It's also not a comedy, uh, unless you key into details like the fact that the main character is the most suspicious, innocent person ever. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, but also not innocent. <laughs> well, no, but... but it, uh, 
ostensibly innocent um he's trying to behave innocent um but just looks more twitchy and weird the more he tries to to look like a good person uh which is kind of hilarious and there's some accidentally funny dialogue in there too but it's not a so bad it's good movie it's um a a beautiful film kind of yeah art housey quite weird um but like i say not strictly a werewolf movie but i did want to take it in as a recommend yeah, like a less porny labette, I think I said, when we were yes, watching it. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I mean, it starts... Anyway, uh, we'll let you discover its delights for yourself. <laughs> I'll do my second recommendation now, because Dan's sort of gone through his. Um, what I really wanted to recommend um, was Shaun of the Dead, but I think that is pushing it in terms of what the people listening to this podcast won't have seen. But, you know, <laughs> if there is anyone out there, it has that mix of, uh, of comedy and horror. Yeah. Um, and, and actually... Actually, if you go onto YouTube and search for Edgar Wright, American Werewolf in London, there's actually quite a few in-depth interviews with him where he's taught, or, you know, intros or whatever, where he's talking about the impact American Werewolf in London had on him and how much it deeply influenced Shaun of the Dead. So, um, but, but I won't recommend it because Dan will make fun of me. So instead, I'm going to go for Werewolves on Wheels, um, which is... You know, Amazing. It, 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 it's it's a bit shit, but in a very fun way. Um, it's this trippy bikers versus Satanist movie from 1971. Um, think Easy Rider meets Rosemary's Baby meets The Wolfman, but absolutely terrible. Um, easy Easy Rider rolling wolves. Oh, there you go. Perfect. <laughs> right. I can't better that. So let's move on to what we've watched in the past couple of weeks. Dan, what have you got? Before we get to that, can I ask you about a film I've not seen, but I think you might have seen? Teen Wolf is incredible. Teen Wolf is incredible. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's just called Where, W-E-R. Did you see that? Uh, no, I haven't. I do know. Yeah, I do know the one. Um, but I meant to. I meant to try and watch it this week, but I didn't get around to it. And uh, I don't know if it's Blumhouse. Yeah, I but don't know. Yeah. I think I might still watch it. It looks quite fun. Yeah. Well, yeah, there you it go. It looks quite fun, like a modern yeah. werewolf picture. So maybe I've not seen it. So that's not necessarily a recommendation. But no. Now, now you're literally just listing werewolf movies. So we are going to move on <laughs> to um, last couple of weeks. Um, what have you been watching, Dan? So, uh, to keep up the tradition of me doing too many titles at once, um, I'm a bit late to this party, but I've been obsessing over the first series of Succession, which is on Amazon, uh, you know, Amazon Prime. It's not not free, but it's on Amazon at the moment, um, which is one of the most amazingly well-written things I think I've ever seen. It's uh, Jesse Armstrong, who obviously, you know, in the UK... Uh, one of the creators of uh, Peep Show, along with Sam Bain, but more recently did um, The Day Shall Come, the Chris Morris, second Chris Morris feature, yeah. uh, which is also very good. But it's uh, every now and then you do get little like spikes of uh, like Peep Show dialogue creeping into succession. But it, for anyone who saw um, uh, Righteous Gemstones, it's like a sort of black as pitch companion piece to that. Although it's you know it came out the first series played a couple of years earlier. It's um, it's about a uh, a media mogul family. Uh, and at the very beginning, they're just sort of dealing with who's going to take over the company as the elderly father, played by Brian Cox, is sort of looking to step down. And they're expecting announcements about uh, how that's going to go forwards. And then as the series unfolds, it's just the most astonishing 
web of uh, like backstabbing and lying and double dealing and double facedness and it's so stressful and anxiety inducing and i love every single second of it well the the good news for anyone who's listened to so far into this uh, podcast and is missing the times where we do disagree uh, they'll be very pleased to hear that there are two things you hate it. <laughs> there are two things that i hate right I hate the I hate the expression late to the party. Um, I oh, hate sorry. it because the later a party gets, the better it is, and it always annoys me when I see it. No, and, no, by and, late to the party, I mean I'm there like three days after the party, and they're still like cleaning <laughs> sick out of the skirting boards, and I'm like, hey, motherfuckers, I've got Buckfast. And the other thing I hate is talking about television on this podcast. It's television. There's no distinction anymore. Yeah, well, and I've recommended that is, TV movies. We've both recommended TV movies. You different, recommended very different. Scream Pretty Peggy. That's a TV movie. Yes, very different. That's still a movie. And that's from the age when television wasn't killing cinema. Because you're right, there is uh, you know, very little uh, difference anymore, which is why people are staying at home and watching fucking television instead of well, going out to Well, in that case, I switch over to recommending The Day Shall Come. <laughs> <laughs> but, which yes. is also by Jesse Armstrong. Yes, and is brilliant. Oh, it's absolutely brilliant. Yeah, I loved it. It's got had a weird right. We're back on track now. Um, it had a weird kind of um, backlash. Yeah, I think some people were disappointed with it, um, and Chris Morris got a little bit of hassle about it. But um, I, well, I think I think it's I great. Think Chris Morris. I think people just didn't like Chris Morris not being so British, like yeah. doing something in America at all. I've I've genuinely spoken to people who are like, why Why is he going to America? Why is he doing stuff in America? Right. Fine, but it's really good. Yeah, it's great. It's really great. Um, great and, recommendation. And, and, and similarly, and we'll... like Jesse Armstrong, who wrote that and also was like creator on uh, Succession, Ugh. he was one of the writers on In the Loop as well, which was the sort of the American relocated feature version of Thick of It, or the other way around. Yeah, Thick of It's the TV show, In the Loop's the movie. So, like, you know, it, you're, you're, it's often... you're, you're honest, You are literally trying to wind me up now, aren't you? You're t- <laughs> <laughs> I can hear it. I can hear it in your voice, you provocateur. Yes, yes. Please carry on talking anyway, about Sam, television. What's your, what's, what's your... And remember to keep it brief because we're running a bit long. So what's your... <laughs> <laughs> well, guess what the good news is? I've also got about fucking 20 things to talk about and none of them is television. So, Amazing. So first up, um, I'm going to do... I'm going to hit you with a double bill. Um, because I am going through my Bergman box set. Um, it's not the fancy Criterion one. It is the one that, um, I think it's 101 Films released. It's just DVD, um, but it's a really, really beautiful box. Um, lovely packaging, lovely book and all the rest of it. Um, so I'm starting from the start and, and going through the, the, every film in there. There's 18 films in there, so I'll Ooh. probably talk about others at some point. But I started with uh, the first feature script Bergman ever wrote, which is Torment from 1944. Absolutely loved this movie. Um, it, it's not traditional, what, what most people would think of as Bergman. Like, it's not... Um, though in a way you know it, it's got the the 
discussions about death. It's got, you know, uh, there's some stuff about religion in there and uh, it does get existential. But it's also just kind of a straight drama with uh, a goodie and a baddie and a uh, damsel in distress, um, but in a kind of twisted way. It's really accessible. And so if, like me, you want to go through all of Bergman's films, it is a lovely place to start. So Torment from 1944. And then I also watched Crisis from 1946, which is the first feature that he directed. And it's a lovely companion piece with Torment. Um, I should actually say also that Torment is beautifully shot. Um, But yeah, Crisis uh, is another kind of relationshipy drama um but it twists and turns and it goes in places that you're definitely not expecting so um yeah uh, that is my first recommendation of this week uh, torment and crisis dan what's next for you i feel so sorry for nick vesberg for this episode by the way but anyway carry on. <laughs> he does uh, for anyone listening to the podcast for the first time nick does our letterbox account and he's already gone over a thousand films uh, that we've yeah. spoken about up until this point and i think he's probably going to have about 20 from this episode alone but anyway dan I'm what's sorry. next i'm sorry nick i actually the next one is uh it's a blu-ray that i it wasn't a film i knew about but um, Richard Wells mentioned it on Twitter a little while ago, and I was like, right, well, yes, I need to see that, thank you. It's called The 7-Ups. I think I mentioned it to you that I've seen it recently when we hung out. 1973, uh, directed by Philip D'Antoni, who was the producer of Bullet and French Connection. He wasn't always going to direct it himself. It was going to be directed by someone else, but they dropped out at the last minute. He was like, fuck it, I'll do it myself. But because it was packaged by the producer of those other films, uh, you can very much, you know, it shares a lot of crew, but also you can see that it was sort of formulated from a production standpoint to be successful in the same way, which it wasn't, which is why, you know, I hadn't heard of it. But um, but it's like, okay, now we have a fucking incredible car chase. Now we have a cynical uh, anti-hero policeman leaves. Now we have, you know, etc. Yeah, it's really, really fucking good. It's Roy Scheider again. Um, this time in the leading role, uh, it's uh, like the creative consultant with the same two cops that were the, the creative guys, the consultants on um, on French Connection, uh, and it's about a group of police called the Seven Ups who only deal with crimes where the minimum sentence is seven years or above, uh, is where they got their name. And Roy Scheider plays a guy who realizes that there might be a kidnap syndicate. Uh, going on that is focusing on mafia people because they won't report uh, kidnaps to the police because they don't want the police like investigations to be around so it, they're easy targets um, it's fucking great and it features a young Joe Spinell so what more could you want? Absolutely yeah uh, uh, another great recommendation and actually my next recommendation will probably make uh, a neat little double bill with the seven ups uh it's not quite as kind of exploitation-y um but it is an incredible cop movie um it's called the new centurions it's from 1972 it's just an incredible film and uh i first watched it i'd say about eight years ago something like that but this was uh, first time watching it on Blu-ray and first time watching it in a slightly different culture. And oh, I yeah. just think that, yeah, it, it, in terms of its politics, it's kind of a beautiful film. You wouldn't expect a, a, a gritty cop movie from 1972 to be quite as 
progressive as this film is. But it's not just the, the politics that make it special. It's crazily unpredictable. Um, you don't know what's happening from one scene to the next. And, you know, if you take your eyes off it for a second, there is there will be something crazy that happens. And yeah, it's it's just uh, an absolute joy. It's on Indicator and yeah, uh, New Centurions what? from 1972. If you haven't seen it, George C. Scott, Stacey Keach, you know, what oh, more do you need? So both so good. Yeah. Um, yeah, Indicator are doing loads of these like sort of 70s, like dark cop pictures at the moment. Um, yeah. I, I didn't recommend it. I don't think it's one of the best ones, but I watched uh, Badge 373 this week as well. Oh yeah, nice. Um which is the Robert Duvall one they released. Again, uh, it's got that same like super cop guy in it and and as a creative on it who was also in French Connection. It's much uh, more gonna... problematic than a lot of the others. Yes. The like yeah, yeah. a lot of the like racism and homophobia and that kind of stuff is much more at the forefront and makes it a very uncomfortable watch, which is the main reason I didn't want to recommend it. But Yeah, yeah. If you are a completist in that genre, it has an extra feature on it that is essentially a rundown of all of those films from the mm. 20s up until the end of the 70s, which is, yeah, worth the price of a mission on its own. And I, I feel like I should give a special mention to another film that I watched in the past couple of weeks, purely because, you know, we, we've talked about a lot of other labels recently, and I do, you know, my, my special beloved Arrow video, you're still in my heart. Um, and I watched The Chill Factor, um, which is something that we'll probably never cover in a full podcast. I think it's probably unlikely. Um, but it's a really odd little slasher. Um, terrible acting, but there's something to it. Like there's a weird atmosphere and, and some really interesting, you know, it, it's, it's bad. It's one of these bad slasher movies, but there is good stuff in there. There's a really lovely transition at one point and yeah, some, some interesting editing. So, um, you know, uh, it's it's not a full blown recommend, but I do want to mention an Arrow video title, and it's worth picking up in the next Arrow sale. I'd say the Chill well, Factor. To do to do the same, and the only reason I didn't do it as one of my recommendations is because it immediately became something I want to do a full episode on. Um, I got to see Dead Center this week. Oh yeah, um, hold hold your tongue. We will definitely do that. We'll do yeah, that as a, as a full episode. Yeah. So everybody buy Dead Center because we're definitely going to do it. I yeah, loved, yeah. I loved it. Yeah, yeah. It. It's right, it's, fan- it's fantastic. It's so good. And I think that's probably it for this episode. Next time we will be doing Nightbreed, so do go ahead and buy that so you can be prepared because I think we'll probably go quite in depth on that one. Dan, any final thoughts before we go? No, that's it. I think that's all. You know, watch uh, American Wealth in London every year from now on for the rest of your life now, Sam. You can okay. do that. It's a deal. Now, I'll do it oh, in a side, not my anecdote, a fun thing. Lee, my friend, uh, whose birthday it was, was telling me that on an early watch of that, there was a massive smash outside his house, I think during the transformation sequence. Uh, and obviously, immediately his body was flooded with adrenaline. And it turned out a burglar had fallen through a greenhouse roof and was like flailing around as uh, as like police turned up in the, in the greenhouse. So he had like a sort of 4D experience. <laughs> that sounds more like an episode of Bottom than uh, American Wealth in London, but that is incredible. Um, right, on that, we're going to give our social media. Dan, how can people hunt you? 
Follow me uh, on Twitter or Instagram at 13fingerfx. Uh, I will be tweeting, uh, among other things, a picture of me as Captain Spaulding, uh, a link to a YouTube video of Alex Cox's video drama introduction for American Wealth in London, and uh, very soon, pictures of a new puppy. Don't follow him, hunt him. Uh, but walk gently behind me uh, <laughs> on, on Twitter at Sam Ashurst and on Instagram at Sam Ashurst 23, the number two, the number three. Though I am going to be very busy doing things that I can't take pictures of uh, for the next little while. So maybe don't bother with Instagram. Just follow me on Twitter. Because of obscenity I, law. I don't, I don't really tweet anymore either. But, um, you know, it's nice, to, it's nice to have people following you. Maybe it'll encourage me salesman. to do more. <laughs> <laughs> yes, self-promotion. Um, good. Right. Thank you so much for listening. And we promise we'll be more professional and less tired next time. Bye-bye. Yes. No, maybe. Bye. <laughs>